What's up, my friends? Today, Candace Owens joins my show to talk about her new documentary, Convicting a Murderer, which goes through the popular Netflix murder mystery, Making a Murderer, fills in some stuff they left out, and counters the narrative that the man the film was based around, Stephen Avery, was not how they painted him to be. I'm gonna do my best to ask some great questions. We're glad Candace is on the show today. Dream Rare Podcast starts now. It's the Dream Rare Podcast, welcome to the show The way to get the news at the desk or on the road Let's go, God is great and success in our control The world is crazy but we get better from obstacles, yeah What's going on everybody today? We are joined by Candace Owens to tell us about her new documentary Thanks for being here Candace. Thanks for having me back so soon too Yeah, of course, I mean, well, let's get into the doc Because I really didn't see the Netflix one I've been doing a lot of research, so it was called Making a Murderer, and your counter to it is Convicting a Murderer. And tell us what it's about and why you decided to do this. So um, even though you didn't watch it, I know that tons of people that watch your show have seen Making a Murderer because it was just like a cult when it came out. It was kind of really the first time that Netflix was experimenting with doing a docu-series. And I, I would say, and I say this in the docu, in, in my series, that Netflix became really big because of this. Uh, and it was tremendously successful and it was successful because I think it really built upon a natural, well, an unnatural anti-police sentiment that was occurring in this country at that time. And people kind of wanted to believe the police could be the villains. You had BLM that was happening at that time. And so they just kind of hit a perfect storm. These two lesbian docu documentary makers from New York covering the Stephen Avery case. And the Stephen Avery case, just to be clear, why it was already automatically going to be successful was because Stephen Avery was, in fact, wrongly convicted for a rape and attempted murder of a woman who pointed him out in a lineup and said, this is the guy that did it before there was DNA technology that was available. And once that DNA technology became available, they realized they had the wrong guy in prison and he served 12 years for that, right? So you imagine this guy gets out of prison, and it, shortly thereafter, he's under suspicion for the disappearance of another woman. So that's instantly, it's, it's fascinating. If I say that, it's like, whoa, 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 what's going on here in this town? Are they just trying to put him back in prison? And they seized on that to essentially tell a story that left people who watched the documentary believing that Stephen Avery was framed for the disappearance and murder of Teresa Hallback. And the, the, it was expert. I mean, if you watch the Netflix series, they were very good at not answering questions and leaving you with this idea that, oh my gosh, this system could be corrupt. And they're probably setting up Stephen Avery because he has this lingering $36 million wrongful conviction lawsuit against the state. And it created in a way that you and I both know that can happen when the media gets behind anything a tribes, literal tribes of people that thought he was guilty. People thought that he was not guilty and they were at each other's throats, you know, vicious, just viciously at each other's throats. You got the Reddit feeds, you got people that then began attacking the family of Teresa Hallback, believing in conspiracy theories, and it was powered by Hollywood. So the documentary makers were doing the circuit on every late night show that you can imagine. Trevor Noah saying like, oh, white people never thought it could happen to them. Oh, that was actually a really good Trevor Noah accent. I, like, <laughs> I, I thought it was him for a second. Yeah. Okay. Back to the... um, you know, but now they see that justice is corrupt. So they they seize on that sort of, you know, anti-policing narrative. You have the usual suspects, you know, Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, Chrissy Teigen getting behind it, which 
for us would be a red flag that something is going on with this case. But once it's powered by Hollywood and the celebrities and the elite all getting behind to essentially say this guy is not guilty, the system is just corrupt, it created a monster. And so convicting a murderer takes a look back on this case, which exploded not just the nation, it was it was globally fanatical. I mean, police officers were receiving death threats from Norway. It was it, it was that huge and shows you what these documentary makers, in my view, intentionally left out, what they did not want you to know about this man, even what his history was before, you know, leading up to even going into prison. They let you know left out why the real reasons why he was even in prison, it was he was 18 years, but for six years was something that he actually did. And his history of violence against women, uh, history of violence against animals, you know, all of the signs that let you know that this person definitely is capable of doing something egregious. So we're taking a look back on that. And it's been fascinating to see people that were really invested in him being innocent now looking at it with another pair of eyes. Right. And I know you're not unfamiliar with going against the grain. And this one, again, it looks like I was reading some comments on the first one that Daily Wire posted. And a lot of people, you know, I'm going to get through some of the comments. I want to see your responses. But they're saying like, you know, just because he was a bad person doesn't mean he's uh, necessarily guilty. And I think most people were persuaded by the Netflix documentary, it seems. And most people will probably disagree with you, at least at first. So like, what was that process like? You looking at that case saying, hey, this is what I want my next doc to be about. I'm, I don't care who agrees with me, but I'm going in. Like, what was that like? Yeah, I was excited about this one, especially because it was apolitical in a sense that there were conservatives that thought he was not guilty, just like there were liberals who thought that he was not guilty. So it really allowed me to take on a challenge. And for me, when people, before they even watch something or after they watch one episode, and really it was, I was getting not hate mail, but just people writing to me, please don't even, you don't understand. We looked at this case for years. What a, a tremendous opportunity, right? People are, I want people that are that invested in the narrative every time I do something, whether it's the BLM doc that I did last year or it, this documentary that I'm doing this year, I want you to be basically someone that can't be persuaded otherwise, because I know that I can persuade you with the facts that you just didn't know um, that were intentionally left out. So I just saw it as an opportunity and I have no doubt that after they watch these 10 episodes that they are going to come away and they are going to believe that Stephen Avery is exactly where he should be, which is rotting in prison. Sheesh. Well, let's go with the first part because I see that the big controversy, which is why a lot of people think he's innocent, is he was serving a sentence for sexual assault and attempted murder. And after serving 18 of those 32 years, he was exonerated by DNA testing. Right. So that was kind of the intro to the public is like this guy got framed and now they're trying to put him back in jail and they're, and they're trying to set him up. Uh, do you agree that, you know, cause I haven't fully looked into that. Was he wrongly convicted of that first charge? Cause I, and you could talk about yes. maybe previous ones too, but that was the wrong Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Yeah. He was wrongfully convicted. There's no question. And nobody on any side, whether you're a truther or a guilter will not admit that he is, he was definitely wrongly convicted of that sexual assault and, um, attempted murder the first time around, not because the state was out to get him. The woman pointed him out in the lineup. She got it wrong and she had a lot of guilt for it. You know, she did tons of interviews after he was released saying that she just got it wrong. She kind of just confused two white guys. That had nothing to do with the state or bad policing. This is just where stuff was at at the time. They didn't have DNA. They, she survived it. She pointed to the wrong guy. 
Right. And you were saying that the Netflix documentary wasn't really political. It was like a murder mystery. But I see that just on Wikipedia, it says that after that, he got kind of tied up in a criminal justice reform bill that they enacted into law in 2005. So it seemed like through him getting out that they were using that case to push policy, you know, whether he knew it or not, just on the backs of that, like he's innocent. Let's let's pass this criminal justice reform bill. Um I just read that. I thought that was interesting because it, it did which seem Which is always like, the case, which is always the case. The politicians never waste an opportunity to further their narrative, right? So if there's a way for them, and, and that's what I said with Hollywood getting behind it. I mean, Trevor Noah had no interest in whether Stephen Avery was in prison or not, but he had his marching orders about you know pushing this anti-police sentiment on his show. And so he used it as an opportunity to, to have the documentary makers on for that reason. Let's get into 2005. I think that's when it happened. So it's, it seemed like 2003, he got out, right? He's out of prison. He's wrongfully convicted. And then in 2005, there's a murder that surrounds him again and gets him tied right in. So he had two years of being free before he was tied right into a mystery or an, another murder mystery. What happened there? Uh, what happened is a young woman who was last on his property went missing <laughs> and they couldn't find her. And so instantly people are just like, no way. Why would why would he do this? He just got his freedom. He just came out of prison. I mean, that's what your brain is going to signal to you. It's like, why on earth, if you just got out of prison for 12 years or something that you didn't do, would you commit another crime? And it's really interesting to talk about that in, in the docuseries. And we get into that and we were fortunately able to talk to his family members, people that were presented as people that were supporting Stephen Avery throughout all of this, talking to his brother, you know, talking to his brother's ex-wife, um, having them talk about what he was like when he got out of prison um, and looking at his prison letters. We got to look at his prison phone calls, you know, his his entire persona and what he felt was that, and I'm going to say B words, that all all B-I-T-C-H's owned him, uh, owed him, B-I-T-C-H-E-S's owed him for him being wrongfully in prison. So, th and this is a guy that had a history of abuse with women, um, which is very important to note. And having, you know, ex-wives and ex-girlfriends, he was writing letters from prison, which we show in later episodes, threatening to kill people when he got out while he was sitting in prison. <laughs> So people that don't think that he's Kate couldn't have been capable. He wouldn't have done this. He was sitting there talking about how he would do it. Um, you know, when he was angry at his wife and angry at his kids and history of abuse towards his children as well. Um, a lot of pet pedophilia in the family altogether and some shocking allegations of pedophilia that we're going to get to in later episodes um, regarding Stephen Avery himself within his own family. So yeah, there was a lot there <laughs> that would have helped people conclude that, mm, you know, maybe he well, didn't come out as this reformed Christian man who was, you know, on a path towards wanting to just go, okay, let the past be the past. But he was someone that was vindictive when he went in. He never changed. When I had his record, it was literally a packet thick from a time from juvie all the way up until he had the wrongful conviction. Uh, and this is a guy that just never changed his stripes throughout life. I saw a lot of comments on your first episode and they were saying, Candace, you know, just because he had a bad past and he was a bad guy, that doesn't mean that he was guilty of that crime. What would you say to that? Correct. I'd say you're correct. If I say right now, um, I'm going to kill you, right? And then you get killed within 24 hours. Doesn't necessarily mean that I killed you. You can make that argument. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
But it's relevant to know that I said, I'm going to kill you. It's relevant to know that the last person's property that you were on was Candace Owens' property after she said, I'm going to kill you. It's relevant to know that Teresa Hallback had reported him and she was afraid of him and she didn't want to go back to his property because he did something that she felt was weird in showing up at the door, you know, half naked with a towel around him, uh, you know, shortly before she disappeared. All of that stuff is relevant. Now, can you do all of that and scare someone and be kind of naked and then they disappear and the last place they are on your lot and you have nothing to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. We can bend our minds like pretzels all we want, you know, but also it could mean everything. And in this circumstance, I am certain that it means everything. <laughs> it means absolutely everything. Before I get back to questions about this, I kind of have two questions I've been thinking about is one, I've noticed a lot of women in my family and a lot of women I talk to, they really like murder mysteries. It's not that men don't too, but I feel like women are more demographically gravitated towards it, oh, like yeah. watching shows and shows and shows. Why is that? Why, why do you think that that's a phenomenon? I don't know. You're asking me to understand my own mind as a woman. You are absolutely right. I am obsessed, fascinated, true crime. Anytime. I mean, we essentially were known for turning into the CIA on our, in our own capacity when it's time to investigate someone. Like they always say, like if a man's cheating, women will just invest. They, they, they're more, we're above the CIA. If we do have to do something and I see it, I have two sisters um, right. and we're that way. Like we'll like investigate something crazy it, it is some natural biological proclivity that I can't fully understand because I am a woman. So right. but you are 100% correct. Actually, Lauren Chen was saying that we did a, a Twitter space, an X space, pardon me. And she was saying that she was like, it is my demographic of women that watch this stuff like IDTV. I could just back to back that, watch that all the time. And men seem less interested. So you are correct. Yeah, well, I'm glad you confirmed women don't make sense. That's what I was trying to get you to say. No, I'm just kidding. That uh, did not happen. That is a misrepresentation. As a headline. No, I'm just kidding. Candace Owens says women are crazy. No, but um, before we get back to like specific questions about the doc, my question is, I know you're bold. You don't really care. You go into a lot of sensitive topics. But when it comes to a murder mystery with a lot on the line, like you said, he's suing the state because of other, you know, I, I mean, crimes that he was involved in that he got exonerated for. What made you look at this one? It's a very sensitive topic, right? A lot on the line, someone's uh, life and literally someone's life and then somebody's life in jail. What made you look at it and just be so inspired to be like, yep, that's the topic that I'm going to blast against what everyone thinks about. I just, I love a challenge. Um, I felt, I feel very passionately about the stance that we have taken. And, you know, I am always passionate in every project that I do about media deception, you know? And it, it's crazy to think that millions of people were so on fire after watching a Netflix series. I don't know why people think that if it's on Netflix, it must be true. They they, they also softened softened Jeffrey Dahmer recently, right? Uh, uh, they're constantly making propaganda pieces and they call them documentaries and people go, well, this must be the truth. And it's far from it. And they've been doing that forever. And so since this was kind of the original one that Netflix did, that altered people's minds. I kind of wanted to go back there because I think that it will help people examine their relationship with Netflix, examine their relationship with documentary makers in general, because for whatever reason, they seem to get a pass. People will expect some level of propaganda if they're watching Fox News or CNN, but we have this idea that when we're watching a documentary, everything that we see must be real, which is why I think Netflix has leaned in so heavily into documentary propaganda. Another case example, Central Park Five. 
those kids did it. <laughs> they did. And yet you have a bunch of people that watch the documentary in the afterlife and, and now they're convinced that those kids had never had never done it. So that might be another one that I do in the future. Who knows? But the challenge is for us to take a look at our relationship with the media. Yeah, I'm sure the media will love you uh, going at the Central Park Five. That'll be a blast for them. But uh, <laughs> I don't think you care at this point. I guess what I would say is, uh, well, I, I want to get some specific questions too real quick before I forget. But when it comes to the first episode that I watched and you were showing that there were certain crimes that they kind of mentioned and wrote off like, yeah, he did this. Like, I think one of them was running someone off the road. Can you go yeah. through before even the murder mystery? the crimes that you know the i guess netflix maybe downplayed or didn't even talk about in general yeah so i mean he was well, always doing breaking and enterings like you know all the time and people are like oh it was just with his buddies no he was always behind there were so many breaking and enterings and burglary things that were on his record from juvie and onward that it's, it's not even worth going into all of them but it was worth going into it a little just to see how netflix tried to soften it like oh he just took like couple of dollars in a sandwich. It's absolutely not what happened. He trashed the place. This is who he was. But that one that you're talking about with running his cousin off of the road was really significant because Netflix kind of tried to make it seem like, oh, well, his cousin was talking trash about him. So this is okay. You're talking about a man that ran her off the road, went up to her, essentially tried to hijack her car, put a gun, a rifle up to her face and demanded that she get into his car. She, whether you want to say fortunately or unfortunately, had a young toddler in the car with her and was like, please, 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 I'll get in the car with you, but just let me drop, drop my daughter off. And he said, okay. And I guess well, as he was following her, he kind of had a second thought, like, what am I going to do? Like show up down the driveway or she's probably going to run in the house and get help. Um, it, it, that's not <laughs> a casual thing to do, right? It's like, this is not a casual crime to commit. What was he going to do if she wasn't with her toddler? And then what he did, and fortunately a police officer was smart, was he went back home and pretended he was sleeping. And it was a super cold day. So the police officer went into the house, you know, questioned him. And he said, oh, no, I had nothing to do with this. And then he went out and felt his hood and realized that it was warm. So he was the whole fake sleeping narrative fell apart. And that's why he was initially in prison for six years. Um, and people thought he was in prison for 18 years while convicted. The first six, he was rightly convicted. And so to downplay that, that's a very violent crime that almost took place. Who knows, again, what, she, what he would have did to her. He had a gun up to her head. Uh, is something that should make you really question why Netflix felt the need to downplay that and make the victim look like she was the aggressor. Oh, well, she was talking, you hear his fans say this, well, she was talking bad about him, which it actually turns out she wasn't. It was a neighbor that called the police and reported that he was, I, I believe, I believe having nude sex. He was doing something like that. And he believed that it was his cousin that was behind it. And so uh, this is a cousin, cousin via marriage why? Why leave that out? It's important. It's, it's important to add that. So yeah, I think that getting into all of those things, talking about how he tortured an animal, which we do right in the early episodes, you know, it's not, it's not your average person that picks up their family pet and douses it in gasoline and tosses it over fire. These might be relevant, <laughs> these sorts of clues. It's not the average person that ties up a dog uh, to a, a truck because he ran away and decides to drag the dog and just drive the truck as a punishment. This isn't normal behavior. Again, you, instantly you could say, well, doing all those things doesn't mean that you're going to murder someone. Yeah, well, I would say that it means that you're missing a chip and you might have the capacity for violence is what I would say. 
Is all that confirmed? Are there people trying to debunk what you're saying or are they no. just omitting it completely? They're not omitting it. They're trying to explain it away. So um, with the cat incident and we have audio of him talking about it, they'll say something like, well, he was peer pressured by his friends. I, uh, what? It's his cat. He's the one that doused it in gasoline. What are you talking about? It, and regarding the this, the cousin, they'll say, well, she was talking trash about him. What? I'm sorry. Is this a normal thing? Like if you talk trash about someone, should you be expecting them to order you into the car? So that's what I talk about when I say the leaps and the bounds that people will come like will come up with to justify it. They're not ignore. They're not pretending it didn't happen. It's it's all confirmed. Um, his the dog incident is told by his brother in the docu series. You know, his brother says, you know, one time he got angry at the dog and the dog ran. He did this. Maybe you could come up with a conspiracy. Oh, the brother's just saying that, which people will do. But you know, it's I got it's. What was the part about, I think you said something about nude sex or what, what was that? I kind of missed that part of it. Um, what was behind that entire incident? Uh, what was he had felt that Jody was circulating rumors around, about him in town when in fact it wasn't the neighbors that called the police. Uh, you know, apparently there was a lot of, he's got a lot of sexual deviancy in his past as well. And somebody had called the police because he was, I don't remember if he was, just masturbating or he was having sex with his wife in public, whatever it was, the police got called. And I don't want to accurate, I don't want to be inaccurate here. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, he was having sex on the lawn in public. And he then started saying that his cousin was circulating the rumors. And in fact, it was totally not her. It was the, somebody else had called the police and had reported this. And he was angry at his, you know, through marriage cousin about it, which is why he grabbed the rifle and allegedly, that's why he grabbed the rifle and went to go confront her. And the people that are convinced of his innocence will say, oh, well, she was talking bad about him at bars. <laughs> just I'm, I'm going to ask a gross question because I feel like it's relevant now because with the masturbation and the public sex thing, do you think it's worse to public masturbate or to public have sex? Are they the same or is it worse? Wow. Totally a segue question, but an easy answer to it. I would definitely say masturbation in public is is way more disgusting and creepy <laughs> i agree i just i went when it was like balancing the two i was just thinking of that question in my head totally did not have that prepared but i kind of just, <laughs> just thought threw of it that. out there just threw yeah. it out there as it's going because yeah. i was like that's yeah in general i wanted to ask with the blm stuff i i know that you'll go at it regardless what the race is but i know a lot of your critics will be like you know candace is turning against her own people blah 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 do you feel like this is kind of the reversal of like listen i don't care if the person's black or white i think they're pushing an anti-police rhetoric and i have no problem doing a documentary about a white guy as well yeah, I mean, because I literally don't. I don't care who is at who is at the nucleus of a story. It doesn't matter to me if the person is white or black. What matters to me are what are the facts surrounding the case. And what matters to me is that we have somehow allowed the media to preset us to defend criminals. It's bizarre. It's totally bizarre at the expense of so many victims. In the case of Stephen Avery, he had so many victims over the years, so many people that were victimized by, by him, including the ultimate victim being Teresa Hallback, who was viciously, I mean, when you hear how she was murdered. It's something that I, I can't even fathom, you know, that somebody's daughter was murdered this way. Um, there was obviously something very wrong and very demented with him. And that's obvious by just, again, his prison letters, his phone calls, everything that we show. And for me, it is just about getting to the truth. It really doesn't matter to me what color the person is.
I know the left definitely seems like they demonize cops. Not everybody, but there is a ACAB, you know, all cops are bastards. That's a progressive sort of like further left wing thing. I'm not saying all progressives think that, but it is prominent on the left where the right seems to be more into firefighters, police officers, military members. But at the same time, when it comes to law enforcement, it seems like Republicans, conservatives, libertarians are way more critical of government organizations like the FBI. And you see now with January 6th, there are most Republicans think that they're getting a raw deal. I think today there were left wing like HIV positive activists that stormed Kevin McCarthy's office. I highly doubt that they'll get charged even remotely the same. But do you see that where I know I understand because I don't think all cops are bad. I think being a cop in this world is is a tough job. I wouldn't want to deal with the worst people in society. But at the same time, you do see the persecution of people, uh, you know, on the right, I would say in an unfair way, or at least that's how a lot of conservatives. Where do you kind of see that where it's like, you know, not all local police are bad. I respect them, but there's still valid room for criticism. But but you don't think that the left's doing it properly. Yeah. First and foremost, for every job that there ever is, there's valid room for criticism. We're human beings. We make errors. You'll see that in the docuseries that the police officers say, if we could go back, if we had any idea this case was going to be this explosive, I would have done this differently. N nobody is just 100% every single day. If for whatever reason, there's a microscope on police officers, and if they make even one mistake, one mistake in a, in a it's something, and they have to be reactionary. It's not like they have time. They can go in and they understand exactly what's happening here. You know, police officers pulling somebody over, they don't know what they're about to encounter. And people just expect them to be perfect all the time, which is just so unbelievably unfair. It's, it is, as you said correctly, it is one of the toughest jobs to take. I would never want any person in my family to be a police officer right now. And that's largely because of how the media has demanded absolute perfection in this one profession that cannot have absolute perfection because there are human emotions involved. And you, you don't know what you would do when quite literally your life depends on your next moment, right? Your life can depend on your next moment. Of course, there's going to be some errors, but overall what we're, what we're seeing is that those errors are minimal. And yet the media wants to to put a to magnify it, to make it seem like those mistakes are just happening all the time. It's just not true. It's what they're choosing to report on. So it's definitely unfair. And to your point about the two tiers of the justice system, which is absolutely true, uh, we are we are seeing that. There's no question about that. What happened to the people on on January 6th, uh, that looking at you know Enrique and how much time he's going to spend in prison and he wasn't even there. It's absolutely despicable. It, it should anger every single person. It should anger them to know that a pedophile can molest a baby and get less time in this country. That is the truth than this person is that then Enrique is getting unbelievable. And it is because we have a corrupt federal system. That is the truth. You know, the Department of Justice is utterly corrupt. Any person that does not have the backbone to say that is not a person that should be in the realm of politics or person that should be ever listened to, period. I I guess before I ask another question about the film, I would say, what would you say to a left winger or maybe not even a left winger, just a person who says, you know, the same way you criticize what they're doing federally to people at January 6th, that's what we're doing locally. And I've seen a lot of memes go around saying that Rudy Giuliani has charged a lot of people with Rico. You know, some people think he did a great job. Others think he went too far and charged innocent people. And now he's getting hit with the Rico charge. What do you say to people like that that say, we're just doing what you're doing the same way it's, you feel about it's that? It's an utter lie. It's an utter lie. What are you talking about? I mean, you're talking about the persecution of police officers who are making sometimes no mistake, 
Derek Chauvin didn't make a mistake. He couldn't have had the medical personnel happen quick, come, come faster, right? He, he couldn't have done anything differently because the guy re was refusing arrest and asked to be put on the ground. George Floyd asked to be put on the ground, which most people didn't know until I presented my documentary. And you're demanding what? That he be put in prison forever for what? To fulfill a social justice narrative. Because if it was true justice, maybe you would say he should be reprimanded. Maybe you say, I don't want him to be a police officer rotting in prison for the rest of his life because a man was high on fentanyl and couldn't breathe and asked to be put on the ground. No, you're not doing the same thing. You're absolutely not doing the same thing. You're, you're trying to say that the, a person who went into the Capitol building, a grandma who went to the Capitol building, a person that wasn't even there on January 6th should be th thrown into prison. People that are in their 60s and 70s, people that served this country should be thrown into prison because they, they walked into a Capitol building. I mean, come on. That's that's absolutely ridiculous. It's a ridiculous argument. I think there's a lot of double standards. And real quick with the BLM, Doc, because I saw that one of the bystanding officers got charged recently just for kind of overlooking yep. the situation. Mm -hmm. That seems like a pretty huge overreach. What was the backlash or, or the positives? I guess there's probably a little bit of both from your BLM documentary, because that was like such a heated topic. I mean, we, we lived through riots, people freaking out, uh, people just messaging like random people saying you're racist if you weren't in the streets even if you didn't say anything if you didn't post a black square i mean that was one of the most emotional outbursts i've ever seen and then years prior in order to you know say what you're saying about derek chauvin in order to make a whole documentary about it i mean you went into probably the most heated racial slash police topic of the last decade and just gave the opposite narrative of the media what was that like positive negative backlash support love like when you dropped that because that's pretty it's pretty bold yeah well i think we can see what the product of it is patrice colors has run hiding the blm has filed for chapter 11 just despite having raised 80 million dollars they can't raise anymore so even the people that won't admit that they were impacted by the truth who won't come out and delete their stupid blm posts they're not giving money to it anymore they know they were scammed and people are now talking about the scam they're talking about you know blm and that was thanks to me being willing to go in there and stare people in the face and say i don't care how big the social justice movement has gotten this is a lie you know, how, how big it's become means nothing to me. And it, it takes individuals doing stuff like that. It really does take people having the willingness to stand up to mainstream lies because it's hard. I mean, you don't think that, you know, I suffered any criticism. Of course, every single day people were at my neck. How dare you as a black person? Black Americans now are changing their... Uh, just talk about... BLM. They are now saying, oh, I never supported the organization. It was more about the movement. They're trying to like go back and edit and not and make it seem like they never really got behind the organization. And one thing that I will say that's been the biggest thing is just the increase in support for me in the black community since dropping the documentary. You know, I think it was they really hated me. And then when BLM as an organization was proven to be fraudulent, that all of them were tagging me on these accounts being like, everyone hates to admit it, but Candace said this first. So I think it shows people that a lie makes its way around the world before the truth gets its shoes on, but inevitably the truth does get its shoes on. So it's better to be on the side of the truth. Yeah. I mean, I, it definitely seems like the, the general consensus is not as strong as it was in 2020. And you're starting to see not to, well, actually I'm purposely changing the topic, so I'm not going to pretend like I'm not, but with the COVID stuff and all the lockdown stuff, you're now seeing a total change in rhetoric by almost everybody. Republicans mm -hmm. slowly shifted towards what me and you were saying early on. And then you had Democrats now basically admitting it. Chuck Todd's giving a tough interview to Gavin Newsom, who's saying he would have done stuff differently. So 
in just two years, you see the narrative go from you guys are conspiracy theorists and crazy and you're hurting grandma to basically now Gavin Newsom trying to go with the narrative that him and DeSantis kind of did the same thing. Like he locked down and I locked down. It's not that different. Like, it, you know, the, the mind games that they're playing with that. So I, I do think with the, you know, the BLM riot narrative, the public's I'm no pollster, but the public support can't possibly be as high as it was in 2020 no. for, for that organization. No, absolutely not. And, and what you're saying about COVID is true as well. And you are also correct that in each scenario, I have, have asserted myself against Republicans and liberals. Don't don't be fooled. People like to pretend Republicans were on the side of truth of COVID. No, there were very few of us that were willing to stand up and say, like, I will never get the vaccine, which I tweeted from the very beginning. I tweeted that it was a farce. I wouldn't wear a mask. And I was attacked by the left and the right because of that. Right. I spoke up when Trump did the lockdown, lockdowns and I was an avid Trump supporter vocally said that it was wrong, that it, they would set it as a precedent, that they would be able to always point the finger and say a Republican president did it first, that even in times of high fear, people should have the freedom to make those decisions and assess those risks themselves if they want to leave their homes. Um, and so I was against it. And I got heat and from the left and the right, and even people on the right who agreed with me were cowards about it. Like, you know, I just got to, I just got to stand behind the president on this one. And what, what does that say? You, what, this is, we're talking about our fundamental freedoms. He's not going to be president forever. You know, you got to be a little... You got, got to have a, a little more sight than to say, oh, well, he's a president now. We need to back him up because it's a really tough time. And I think over and over again, I have hopefully asserted myself as someone that doesn't move with, you know, left or right, but just kind of stands with the truth and I'll let the chips fall as they may. And eventually right. they always do. And it turns out that, yes, I was right about COVID um, and I was right about BLM. I have no doubt that I'm right when it comes to the Stephen Avery case. And, um, you know, if I'm ever wrong, which I obviously I'm human, I might get it wrong. I will at least have the courage to fully full throated admit that I was wrong about something and not try to be one of those people that jumps on the train later and pretends that they weren't awful. You know? <laughs> they right. were absolutely awful to people that had the courage to say something different. Outside of my personal bias, because I like you and we're friends, I always respected you because you always were outspoken about topics that I feel like, you know, whether people agree with you on some things or not, you go where you want to go. And a lot of people are really just followers, in my opinion. So I remember myself, you, maybe RFK, Dr. Shiva, I'm not really sure who, but 2019, we were sounding the alarm of mandatory vaccines before the pandemic because they were pushing them in New Jersey and California. And you were one of the very few conservative influencers, if that's what I could label you now. I know that's like a, you know, a, a small label for the stuff, but you know, nobody was saying that on the Republican side. And I was like, guys, they're put, they're going to do this. They're doing it now. And you were one of like maybe less than 5% of the people who saw it, tweeted about it and made sure people knew that where you stood on it. And maybe that's why we lose all the time. Cause we're 30 steps behind. Right. I totally agree. And it was, it was hard to do it. I mean, even within the confines of having a contract with the Daily Wire, and, it, and they were, have always been open to me saying my opinions, even if it's completely separate. You Obviously, the host of the Daily Wire, we all have very different opinions about everything, which I think is actually one of the great things about working here is we're allowed to say different things. But with COVID, it was really hard. And there was a lot of pressure on me. One episode where I said, I absolutely want to talk about the vaccine side effects. I'll never forget it. It was uh, women that were coming to me talking about the menstruation. And it was very hard for me to do the episode, you know, editorial came down, not because they were against what I was saying or thought that what I was saying was wrong, but because they understood at that moment, YouTube had a policy that if you spoke about it, they would grab you off of YouTube. And I was like, we really had to sit down and, and hammer it out for, uh, you know, 
hours. And I was like, I am willing to take this risk. Like I understand that I could lose everything, but it is so important to me that people understand this. And we did the episode and I'm so proud that episode aired in a time when it was really hard for it, for it to air. I'm glad that like, you know, when I really asserted and said, I want to do this daily, I was like, okay, we're going to get behind you. You know, you might have, this is, this could go really badly just so you understand what YouTube is doing to everybody. And it takes those moments of courage, you know, don't back down for something that's important to you. And people being harmed, women that were coming forward with the, the menstruation issues that eventually they admitted months later that it could impact your menstruation. You're talking about women's fertility, you know, something that serious. And I was like, yeah, I'll put it all on the line for that. And now I produce an entire series about all vaccines, <laughs> the Daily Wire, you know, right. shot in the dark, which is available exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Um, and a couple of free episodes are up on YouTube as well. If you, if you look in Candace, I want to shot in the dark, but I don't vax my children. I'm open about that. I don't care at all what conservatives agree or disagree with that. Um, I, I have broken that the discomfort of talking about not vaxing your children is something that I think has been my greatest contribution to the public space. You know, they always tried to make you crazy person, anti-vax, all of this stuff. But now my timing was perfect because I started that series pre-COVID, and now everyone is awake to the medical cartel that we are existing under. Big Pharma is no different. The medical cartel in America is no different than the cocaine cartels of Colombia, right? They have full omnipotence. They're in lockstep with the government. They are uh, getting drugs into, into the system of your children when they're young. They know that this stuff is making people sick. And um, it's in, I, I use Vax, I use the inserts from the FDA website. I'm not, I'm not telling you, um, and it's something that's an opinion, the show, we show you on the CDC website and the FDA website what it tells you it can happen to your children. And then we show you what the risks are of if you don't get the vaccine. And so I'm really proud to take those stances. It's not something that I shy away from. I never shy away from the truth, even if it earns me some enemies along the way. Because as I said, you know, the lie will make its way around the world. The truth will inevitably get up out of bed and put its shoes on. And regardless of what people think, check out the PrEP Act, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, because these are the two that Big Pharma uses to shield themselves from liability for side effects. And I, uh, yeah, I, I talked to my friend who had a kid recently and the pressure that the doctors were putting on him, et cetera. That stance of, of yours is definitely one of the most bold. And that's something that most people left or right aren't willing to do at all. I wanted to real quick rapid fire just some critics and comments from that I saw in the comment section from the documentary because I want to just see how you respond. So someone said on YouTube, you know, the police look guilty. You know, Candace, the police look guilty in the in, in the doc, you know, the, the making a murder um, with the Avery thing. What do you think about that? We got those police officers in our docuseries and they get to talk about everything. And that was the intention was to make it look like dirty cops. It was a dirty cop narrative. Uh, $36 million lawsuit, I guess the concept being that what the cops killed her so that they could avoid paying out $36 million for the state. You got to believe a lot to believe that he didn't do it. Um, but we will debunk that narrative. So some people are saying there's a lack of blood in the room, or I believe there's also, they, they think they planted the blood possibly. What do you think about that? Yeah. That one is uh, the blood being planted is amazing. I mean, you, ha you have to have a lack of understanding about blood coagulation, which we talk about in later episodes. You have to believe that the police snuck into his trailer and stole blood from him and then planted the fresh blood into the car. You got to believe a lot. We are going to unpack it in the series as well, as well as talking about the blood vial, which was actually something that the Netflix docuseries never brought up again because they knew that it was ridiculous what they were saying. So they kind of like left a little cliffhanger and then never brought it up again. It was like a, a huge cliffhanger that then they didn't address it in the next episode because it was a really bad 
um, suggestion that they got an old blood vial and not even Stephen Avery's defense attorneys picked that one up. Before I ask the next question, I just want to state I haven't done much opinion this time because I'm trying to do an interview and be professional. But, you know, I do want to give my opinion about this because the next question is going to be about Andrew Tate and some of the criticism. And one thing that I found crazy from the left wing and the right wing was so many people trying to shame you and others for interviewing him. And I want to just make this clear because this is a statement I feel very strongly about. Regardless of if you love Tate, you think he's innocent, you think he's guilty, you think he's the greatest, you think he's the worst, this new idea that people are trying to push, especially it's crazy, it's coming from the right mostly, that you shouldn't be allowed to interview someone, you could say it's a softball interviewer, you didn't interview right, but the, I see so many people trying to push this narrative saying, how, how dare you interview this guy? As Oh, we're going to cut off interviews now? We're not allowed to interview people? I thought that was nuts. So I just wanted to say that, like, regardless of what you thought, say what you think, but don't say that you can't interview someone that's like terrible but uh with that being said a lot of people were trying to say how dare you for interviewing andrew tate or you softballed him they're saying he's a trafficker and you know i saw a lot of people like how dare candace speak to him and like what do you think about all of that because that was pretty wild yeah what you said was true it was like the left acting like the right i mean the right acting like the left in that capacity which was really strange uh you can't you can only talk to people that you agree with is wild secondly i talk to people all the time people tell me i shouldn't talk to you, you included i mean I, a hit piece coming you know if i speak to you oh you can't talk to him he's this he's that don't tell me who to talk to and i have always been the person that if i have met somebody if i have known somebody throughout my entire career people have told me don't talk to this person anymore it'll be better for your career i just don't live like that i'm sorry it's not who i am I've, I've always been too authentic of a person. I was very upfront with the fact that I met Andrew Tate once um, before he blew up, actually, uh, via my husband and Paul Joseph Watson. And I was genuinely, when I went to interview him, I tried to get this interview, like, for a while I had, had, had wanted to go out there because I was fascinated by how big he got. It's fascinating. And it's actually stupid to discount someone. It's sort of like, when Trump became president and a bunch of people just said, well, every single person that likes him is a racist. How dismissive to suggest that every single young boy, young man, older man that is following Andrew Tate, tens of millions of people worldwide are following him because they support a human sex trafficker. I mean, you're an idiot. If you think that, I'm sorry, but you're an idiot, right? So I was interested. I didn't even want to talk to him about the case. I was interested in Andrew Tate, like what he was creating, why young men were following him in the same way that young men were following Jordan Peterson, you know? Um, and so when we got there, my goal was to talk to him to see who he was. And then people who were just following his case wanted me to, you know, go all in and suddenly give him an interview about his case, which is not what I was ever interested in when I got there. Eventually afterwards, I did a deep dive on his case and I did it on my show and looked at the four victims that were listed, uh, as being human sex trafficked. I have given my take. I do not believe he sex trafficked those individuals. Uh, and we will see what the system decides. I would not at all be surprised if, uh, if Andrew Tate gets off. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised because they don't even understand the case at all. And they're looking at old videos of him when he were 20 that has nothing to do with his case in Romania. So I do not regret sitting down with Andrew Tate. If you had an issue with my interview style, that is totally up to you. But I wanted to understand the phenomenon of Andrew Tate and to, to suggest that everyone who follows him and all the tens of millions of men who are getting something out of his content are all losers and human sex trafficker, traffickers makes you somebody that's just not capable of further analysis and logic. Yeah, I got you. So you covered it. And that's definitely a trend. I mean, I know with my Vivek interview, I was inspired to ask him tough questions, et cetera. And uh, I see the attempt to definitely 
basically try to control who people talk to and how they talk, probably because right. podcasters and just like normal conversations are now more impactful than maybe mainstream media topics. So they're upset at that. I guess I want to end. I know we don't have that long and I want to let you go at the right time, but you're having another kid and you know it's already tough being a mom, I'm sure. Combined with all this stuff, all these controversies, et cetera, how's it been? And also congratulations on, on your family. Thank you so much. Yep, 30 weeks pregnant, so just about I think, nine weeks and six days left. Um, and having another little boy, I have a boy and a girl at home, two-year-old boy, one-year-old girl, so we're doing the whole back-to-back -back thing. It has been the biggest blessing of my life. It has made me more sure and more passionate about the things that I cover. I've never been more sure-footed. I've never uh, felt more confident in the world. When you, when you create your own little world in your home, it doesn't matter what people say about you. It genuinely doesn't matter. I'm, I, I am in the most secure phase of my life and I know what I want to contribute to the world. I make choices confidently and I have my children to thank for that. I have my children and my husband and my home to thank for that because that is something that the world doesn't have the power to take away from me. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for being here. And I would say to people, this is surely going to, uh, you know, since they had a whole Netflix documentary saying the opposite, a lot of people are going to have a lot of opinions. And the only way to really know what's in it is to watch it yourself. Tell people where they can see it. And thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. So you can check it out. The first episode is up on YouTube for free. Uh, the second episode also, it's free, but you have to go to dailywireplus.com. Um, and you can see the first three episodes. And then beyond that, you have to subscribe to Daily Wire Plus. I have no question that after you watch the first couple of episodes, you're going to be completely hooked and you're going to want to subscribe because we just did really good work here. I'm really proud of what we've done here. Um, I'm proud of every, you know, the way that we're just growing up at Daily Wire and kind of taking on different stories and telling different stories. And I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to do what I'm passionate about, which is to expose media propaganda. Well, thanks for being here, Candace. And thank you, everybody, for watching. It's been Dreamer Podcast with Candace Owens. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, what's going on, my friends? Just a few ways to stay in touch and support if you'd like to. The first way is dreamrare.com. We have blue beanies, black beanies, pink hats, other colored hats, freedom versus tyranny shirts, stay blessed long sleeve, God is great long sleeve. And